Well, this is June 30th, which means it's the fifth Sunday in the month, and that means we have a bonus Sunday, and it is our habit on these bonus Sundays. Obviously, we get to hear a redemption story, as we just got to hear from the Berthumes. Love that story. The other thing we often do on these bonus Sundays is we hit pause on whatever series we are going through at the time. Right now, it happens to be Luke. And we take a week off from that, and we dive into one of the Psalms in the Old Testament. Now, this is our fifth bonus Sunday that we've done, so we will be in Psalm... My people are... Who said four? All right, deacons, take that person out, right? No, come on. Uh, No, we'll be in Psalm 5 today, and uh, for those of you who got it, I'm so proud of how sharp you are. So we're in Psalm number five, and this is the introduction to the psalm. It says at the top of it, it says, To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Now, I think I told you before that, look, when you have a study Bible and you go through that thing and there's headings all over the place about what the next section of Scripture is about, those headings are not Scripture. Okay, those were inserted by people after the fact. They might be accurate, they might not. Okay, so be careful of those. However, when you come to the Psalms, these introductions, or sometimes they're called superscriptions, these things are actually Scripture. They were there from the beginning as part of God's Word. So when you look at this one, it tells us that this is a Psalm of David for the flutes. That's a reminder that when we go into these Psalms, what we're looking at is poetry, more specifically lyrics. These are lyrics to songs that were sung in worship of God. And this one evidently was intended for the flutes. And I'll be honest with you, when I opened this psalm the first time and I was reading through that thing, I went, that thing's got to be with flutes. (laughs) Actually, I have no idea. I'm just making that up. I'm clueless uh, on musically, right? So, but there it is. So evidently this one was intended for flutes to accompany it. And so as we get into this psalm, moving out of the introduction, I want to show you the first three verses. And here's what it says there. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. All right, it begins by saying, give ear to my words, O Lord. And you see, Lord is in all caps. It's not because David is shouting at that point. That is the way the scriptures sometimes use to indicate that what is being translated into English as Lord is actually Yahweh, this proper name of God that God revealed to Moses. I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. The great I am that we already sang about this morning. So so that's the great I am right there. And and then you see, he starts out saying, give ear to my words. So the psalm, this one is all about David speaking to God. Now, when we think of the scriptures, we think of God speaking to man. And there's no doubt that this is inerrant scripture. This is a divinely inspired example of people speaking to God. But that's what most of the psalms are. With the exception of 15 out of 150 of them, so 90% of the Psalms are divinely inspired example of people speaking to God, not God speaking to people. And so we are supposed to speak to God. Now when we do, these become examples to us. And what we notice about these examples is that they are not neat. 
They're not tidy and proper and polite and formal addresses to God. Okay, this is not, Dearest Heavenly Father, Thou art so holy, and yet at this very hour, my Lord, I languish in difficulty. It's not what this is. If you look at it, it talks about crying and groaning. You see, the Psalms are so real. They are so raw. Imagine somebody just weeping before God. I mean, hyperventilating. You know, the snot starts to flow. And if you ladies, you know, this is when your face looks like a Picasso painting from the makeup, right? And all that. It's that kind of appeal to God. Not some neat, tidy little thing. And that's totally okay. Like, listen, parents, do you only listen to your children when they offer you very calm, well-worded, polite requests? Hey, listen, moms, you can pick your child's cry out of a playground full of kids, right? Your kid cries and you run and you listen, right? This is a child crying out to his heavenly father. And God runs and he listens. And you need that time with God where you are real and you are raw with him. Look, you don't just cry out to the God. Look what David said. He cries out in prayer. He said to my king and my God. Not just the king and the God, my king and my God. David is saying, I know him and he knows me. I love him and he loves me. I trust him. I need him. I'm running to him. He's my king. He's my God. And when does he run to him? Did you notice that he emphasized it twice? He runs to God in the morning. This is an encouragement to start your day with God. Now, granted, I'm a morning person, okay? <laughs> Tries my family nuts. My daughter and I, we're still working it out years later, okay? We're figuring it out. But I am very much a morning person. This is easier for me. But even if you're not a morning person, let me make this real clear to you. You need God more than coffee. It's pretty extreme, right? I get that. But you need God more than coffee. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. Prayer should be the key that unlocks your day, but also should be the lock at the end of the day that locks up all those burdens and puts it on the Lord and says, I'm going to sleep now. You got it, God. Prayer then becomes the key that unlocks your day. Let's be honest, when you wake up in in the morning, that's the moment where all the cares and worries and anxiety of yesterday come screaming at you and all the worries facing you today come rushing at you. And you need to turn to God in that very moment. Listen, if I had a pause button for my heart, I could hit that button and just talk to God later in the day. But none of us have that button. And I need to connect with God in that very moment. Don't start your day with your smartphone and your tablet and your social media and your news. Start your day crying out to your God, unlocking the day. And the good news is when you do that, he'll hear you. He'll hear you. That's woven in there. In the morning, you hear my voice. The early Psalms emphasize this over and over. Look at some of the repetition here. Psalm 3, verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Psalm 4, verse 3. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
We covered Psalm 5 already, but Psalm 6, verses 8 and 9. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. There's confidence that God hears me. And because David knows he's been heard by God, do you know what he did? Look at the, back at the end of verse 3. What are the last two words there? And watch. Because God has heard him, he watches and waits. He's saying, I've prayed, I've worshiped, I know God hears me, I know he's powerful and active, so now let's watch, let's wait, let's see what he does. This, this means it's not just some religious ritual, not just going through some motions with God, but this is a real engagement with the real God who is powerful and active, and therefore I'm looking for him to move. I pray, therefore I watch. It means to pray then in faith. Praying in faith, I think, means two things. The first is that God is God, and I am not, which means God doesn't have to obey me. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says later. He's much smarter than I. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, if you knew all that God knows, you'd only ask for what God gives. Sometimes God wonderfully says no. He's God, I'm not. That's praying in faith. I submit to that and love it, love it. The second thing, though, that praying in faith means is that he is God. And he's powerful, and he's active, and I know he's heard my voice. He's able, he does stuff. Contrast that with this idea. I'm going to pray to God now, but I'm not really sure there is a God. Now, if there is a God, I'm not really sure he's going to hear my prayers. And even if there is a God who hears my prayers, I'm pretty sure he's not going to do anything. But let's pray. What? Why even pray? What an exercise in futility that would be. This is reflected why I heard this quote one time. It's unknown who put this forward, but it stuck with me. It said that too many people pray like little boys who knock on doors then run away. Too many people pray like little boys who knock on doors and run away. Not David. He watches, he waits. Now, why, why do we get so surprised at answered prayer? Because we do, don't we? It's amazing. I prayed, and then you know what God did? Blows my mind. No way, that worked. We get so surprised. You understand, in that moment, we're mocking God. Like, hey, good job, little buddy. You actually did your job today, man. Wait, wait, if you're an employer and you have an employee who hasn't shown up for a month and then suddenly shows up for the job, you know how you try like, oh, well, looky who showed up today. That's how we treat God when he answers prayer. Oh, look how God showed up today. Good job, buddy. Why do we do that? Listen, if we pray according to the will of God, according to the heart of God, we pray for his kingdom and his purposes, not our kingdom and our purposes. But if we pray in that way, shouldn't we be more surprised when he doesn't act than when he does? And granted, sometimes he won't because he's smarter. Thank you, God, for being God, and I'm not, and I'd mess it up. So that's okay. But David knows not only the God, David knows his God. 
And so he knows he's been heard for him, by him, and, and therefore he watches, he waits, he expects. This is expectant prayer. All right, that's what's set up in those first three verses. Now, I want you to hear the rest of the psalm. Actually, you're going to hear the entire psalm. But I don't want you to tune out. I want you to tune in. I want you to actively listen to this psalm, and then we'll talk about it after this. Enjoy. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. There's some wonderful stuff packed into that psalm. And having covered verses 1 through 3, let's pick it up at verses 4 through 6 here. I don't know if you noticed in there, there is snuck in a great promise that in the big picture of all things, evil does not win. God wins in the end. And that is wonderful, wonderful, great news. But remember, David is crying out. He's groaning then. And the question is, what about us? What about today? What about the the stuff I need from God now? I need comfort now. And I'm comforted that he hears my voice and he answers. But here's a question. Why? Why does God hear David's voice and not other people? Like there, there seems to be this indication in the scriptures. It's uncomfortable to talk about, but it's in there. There seems to be this indication that God hears the prayers of the righteous, but stops his, his ears to the prayers of the unrighteous. And if you look in verses 9 through 10, you'll see a little bit more of that, that they are these rebellious, sinful jerks, and God is not for them. He is against them and won't hear them. Now what this sets up, if we're not careful, is religious 
arrogance that we are the good people of God and those other people are bad. And God will listen to us. Why? Because we have worked hard, we've tried hard, we've cleaned our lives up enough. Now we've impressed God and he likes us so he listens to us. The problem is that that's not true. The problem is that we boast and we lie and we do evil stuff. You know that, right? right, Let me ask you this. Are you as holy as God? And if you say no, that means you've done evil. If you hesitated to say no, that means you're boastful and deceitful and being evil right now. Okay, so either way, you're on the hook here, right? Here's the question. When you, when you read things like verses 4 through 6 or verses 9 through 10, do you come away saying, sweet, I'm good, I'm so glad I'm not like those idiots that God dislikes? Or do you come away saying, holy crap, I've got a problem. I'm in trouble here when I read those scriptures. See, verse, verse 9 there uses this phrase where it says, their throat is an open grave. I don't know if that sounded familiar to any of you. That's actually, the Apostle Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 3, verse 13. It's in a section where Paul is making his case that every human being is condemned before God as unrighteous. There are none, there's none who does good. All have gone astray. They're all unrighteous. Their throat is an open grave. He's quoting that, and therefore Paul is applying this section right here to all of us. We're all in the uh-oh category. Man, we've got a problem. What's the solution? Well, there is a solution in the psalm. It's wedged in between those two passages. In verses 7 to 8, there's some good news. Look at it. it But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, not my love, not my obedience, not because I'm a good person, but because of who you are, God, your love. Actually, steadfast love there is one word in Hebrew. It's hesed. It's the word for undeserved love, unwavering love, unconditional love. It's the word for grace. It's because of God's grace that we're okay, not because of us. So the solution isn't you, isn't your actions, isn't your love, your obedience. It's the gracious love of God. Well, then what is it that we do? Well, what we do, if you look in there, is we bow down. We bow down in fear. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. You see, bowing is a posture of worship. And if everyone is personally evil, then who is it that God is okay with? Or who is God against? Well, God is against those who don't bow down, who don't receive his steadfast, his gracious love and his blessing and his righteousness into their lives. It's those who don't bow and worship and don't acknowledge him as their personal king and their personal God who don't bow down and draw near to him and call out to him and groan and cry. That's who. Which means I might be just as personally evil and wicked and unrighteous as that person. Maybe even more so. The only difference between me and that person, I bowed down. And by the grace of God have been received into his family. That's it. I've received his steadfast love. 
You see, if you truly encounter the high and holy God, you do not come away from that engagement thinking, I'm really self-righteous and vindicated and other people are horrible. That's just not the way it works. Instead, what happens is you fall at his feet as though dead. You're bowing in dread and in fear. And the, the issue in that moment is not other people's sin. It's my sin. It's your own sin. Holy crap. I'm finished. I'm finished. And then in that moment, grace floods in. Because Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. Not you. It's finished. And he puts his hand on you and he says, fear not. You understand, in the Bible, the most common repeated command is fear not. And so there we are, catching the big picture that we're trembling in fear before a holy God. And he, Jesus reaches down and he puts his hand on you and he says, fear not. I've got this. My steadfast love will take care of this. Not you. Now, this doesn't mean we can go all willy-nilly and do whatever the heck we want. He says in there, lead me in your righteousness. Make your paths straight before me. That's help me grow, Lord. Help me grow. See, grace leads to growth. Grace leads to growth. I've told you before that God has enough compassion to accept you just the way you are. But he also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. He's a good dad. Grace leads to growth. And so we see that reflected in there. Now, the psalm ends with some wonderful promises in verses 11 and 12. And you can look at those here. What it says there is that we are to take refuge in God. Now, remember, these psalms are very raw and they are very real. I need shelter. You need shelter. This is a very hard, difficult, sucky, broken world. And I've got to have shelter. And I'm, not the, I'm a part of the problem. I'm not the solution. God's the solution. And so I run to him. You must run to him and find refuge, find protection, shelter, shield. My heart cries out, God, help me. Help me. It's an act of desperate dependence. And it's emotional. Listen, this is where we are very, in a very real way, sharing our emotion with God. But notice the response after God moves in our lives. There's a, an emotional response from David where he's got joy, he's rejoicing, there's, he's exalting God, he's worshiping God, he's rejoicing and singing. All of this is flowing out of David. Don't hold back on God. When we come into this room, I mean, it should be all week long, but certainly on Sunday mornings, let's not pump the brakes. Like, let's pour it all out before God. Men, I want to talk to you for a moment because we as dudes try to act stoic. Like somehow our emotion shouldn't be engaged with our God. Listen, if God doesn't get you in the feels, something's wrong. Something's off there. And dudes, if you've been called to lead a family... Understand, if you continually act like God's no big deal, your children will pick up on that. Let's pour it all out before our God. 
For all of us to be desperately dependent on God, be drawn towards him, we rest in his refuge, and therefore I have joy. Therefore I worship him and exalt him, and therefore he blesses me. It says that there at the end, he blesses. Now, make no mistake, that's not the blessing of like health and wealth. We're not going that route, that's, that's garbage. If you think about David's life, some of you don't know the full story, but David would have some really dark chapters. Like when one of your sons kills another one of your sons and then he goes on the run and he comes back and then he tries to take over your kingdom and he does for a short time and now you're the king but you're on the run and your son's trying to kill you, that's a dark day. David says he blesses me. How is that? It's because I've got the steadfast love of God in my life. I'm his enemy yet he welcomes me as his son. Are you kidding me? He folds me into his family and has relationship with me. And now I'm growing. I'm, I'm filled with this Holy Spirit and he's making paths straight before me. He's walking with me through the good chapters and the dark ones. That's the blessing right there. And David's got it. All right, that's Psalm 5. Now, what I want to do is just wrap up by giving you three takeaways. And the first one is this. Of course, prayer. Prayer. When life throws crap at you, and it will, when that happens, what do you do? Okay, let's be honest for a second. What most of us do is we complain to others and we talk to ourselves. Anyone else? Is it just me? Am I the only one that talks to myself? I do it all the time, right? Complain to others, talk to myself. What if in those difficult times, instead of complaining to others, those became requests to God? And what if instead of talking to myself, I did something a little bit more fruitful? I talked to God. Turn those moments into prayers. Okay, so that's the first takeaway. The second is balance. Because these psalms are very raw and they are very real. And so that leads us to not suppress our emotion. That's unhealthy. You need to be honest and real and raw before God. When you're angry, you let him know. You vent it out. However, here's the balance. It is not unbridled emotion. It is emotion that is fettered to the truth. And so while I'm very real about the problem, I lift my head from the problem to the problem solver. And while I'm upset about some circumstances in my life, I'm going to lift my head from my circumstances to my king and my God. And I know he's heard me. And so I'll watch. I know who he is. I know how the big story started. I know how the big story ends. I know I'm going home and I'm going to be okay someday. And I know in the meantime, he has heard me. I've got refuge in him. And he's going to make it okay. Maybe not the way I want. But he'll walk with me through it. That's balance. And then third and last, I want us to be people of grace. See, there are two different ways that you can preach Psalm 5. One is religion and the other is grace. And I've heard them both done. There at the end where it says, God blesses the righteous. Awesome. Question, where'd the righteousness come from? Religion would say it came from me. I've worked hard. I've been religious. I've impressed God. Now he's going to bless me. Grace says, no way. The righteousness isn't mine. The righteousness belongs to God. And it is just a move of his gracious character, his steadfast love, his hesed. And that's where it all comes from. 
You see, my, my biggest problem is not those mean people from verses 9 through 10. My biggest problem is me. My own sinfulness, my own brokenness, my own wickedness. And the good news is the problem's been solved. And so I just say, praise God, and I worship him. You see that? Which means as you go into this week, you're going to have two doors in front of you. You're going to have to walk through one of these doors. The first door says, my biggest problem is other people. And when you go through that, let me just warn you what's on the other side of that door. There's pride and religious arrogance and self-righteousness and bitterness. That's your prize. But there is door number two. My biggest problem is me. And praise God, he's solved that problem for me. And when I walk through that door, what I find on the other side is humility, joy, and forgiveness. Not only forgiveness for me, but forgiveness that I offer to others. I'm free of bitterness. And I'm hoping and praying that all of us pray with balance this week, but that we are people of grace and choose door number two. Let me pray for that right now. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be your children, to bow to you, our King and our God. For to you do we pray. Pray that you make us people that run to you in prayer and seek refuge in you. Pray that you would do that with balance. Thank you that we can be real and honest before you, but, but the truth is there. And then would you this week make us people of grace, And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.